Hello and thank you for listening. If it is in your heart to do so, please support this podcast using listener support. Every little bit helps keep this podcast going. Also, check out Christian Love Radio on Zeno FM for more great music and sermons. An exposition of Job, chapter 18, verse 5. Ye, the light of the wicked, shall be put out, and the spark of his fire shall not shine. The light shall be dark in his tabernacle, and his candles shall be put out with him. The miserable condition of a wicked man is laid forth in this chapter. First, allegorically. Second, plainly. By way of allegory to the 17th verse, and in plain expressions to the end of the chapter. Here are four allegories. The first, from light, verses 5 and 6. The second, from hunting and fouling, verses 7, 8, 9, and 10. The third, from law proceedings, or the manner of process in courts of justice, verses 11 through 15. The first word has an emphasis in it. The light of the wicked shall be put out. Yet it imports a vehement affirmation, carrying what is affirmed against all opposition. It shall be thus, he says, which especially reaches two things first. How much soever you are angry with us for saying it, yet it shall be thus. Be you as angry as you will, you shall not help yourself. You may entangle yourself more, but you shall not at all loosen yourself. A man that has a burden upon his back cannot ease himself by striving and struggling with it. But the more he struggles, the more he is troubled. Secondly, this, yea, may bear respect to the exaltation of wicked men, to the height of their prosperity, let them have gotten as high as they will, down they shall fall. As a prophet Isaiah speaks of Lucifer in chapter 14, verse 13, You have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. Yet you shall be brought down to hell, to the sides of the pit. The higher we build in our own thoughts without God, the lower is our fall, and the more unavoidable you shall be brought down. Or take the allegory in the text. How much light soever the wicked man has, though he seem to have as much as the sun, though he seem a fountain of light, yet out he shall. He shall be put out like a candle. Yea, the light of the wicked shall be put out. Here are four expressions about one thing. First, the light of the wicked shall be put out. Secondly, the sparks of his fire shall not shine. Thirdly, the light shall be dark in his tabernacle. Fourthly, his candle shall be put out with him. We are not curiously to insist upon distinctions, to find out the difference between light and a spark between light and a candle, and so on. Though a difference there is, yet I can see the speaker did not so much intend that, but heaps up a great many words of near alliance, or of one signification, 
the more to ratify his assertion that the thing should be certainly done. A wicked man shall be extinct. Put him under what notion you will. Let him have light or spark or candle. He shall go out in darkness. But what is this light? There are three sorts of light. First, moral. Secondly, spiritual. Thirdly, civil light. Moral light is the light of wisdom, prudence, and understanding. And so some of the elder learned rabbins and later Hebrewians to interpret this text as if he had said, the wicked man shall be made a very full, destitute of wit, reason, understanding, and ability to judge or know what evil is upon him or what good for him. The spirit of counsel shall be taken from him that is a sore judgment. Secondly, there is spiritual light, and that is double. The light of the knowledge of God, and the light of comfort from God. The knowledge we receive from God is light, and the joy we receive from God is light. Some interpret the place of this spiritual light. Though a wicked man and hypocrite has a great measure of this light, Yet his light shall be put out, as Christ threatens in Matthew 13, verse 12. To him that has shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But from him that has not shall be taken away even that which he seemed to have. That light of knowledge with which hypocrites seem to shine shall be taken away from them. Many hypocrites are irradiated with much light and of great flashes or flushes of joy and comfort. These shall be taken away. Their light shall be put out. Yea, their sparks shall die. They shall be left in utter darkness. Though they compass themselves about with sparks of their own kindling, as the prophet speaks in Isaiah 50, verses 10 and 11. Though this be a truth, yet I conceive it is not the thing that Bildad intended. But we are rather to take it for civil light, that is, the light of outward prosperity. And so these words are a gradation, teaching us that not only whatever a carnal man reckons his greatest splendor, but what he calls his smallest ray of temporal blessedness shall be wrapped in darkness and obscurity. Outward prosperity may be called light upon a threefold consideration first. Because as light refreshes and cheers the spirits, there is a terror in darkness. And when light comes, we are freed from that terror. So does outward prosperity in the presence of worldly accommodations. Secondly, light helps us on in our work. No man can work till he has either the natural light of the sun and fire or some artificial light. Prosperity and peace carry us on in our worldly affairs. A man who has much light of knowledge about him, how to work, may yet have so much darkness of affliction about him that he cannot work or move in the proper sphere of his activity. Thirdly, light makes us conspicuous. We are seeing what we are in the light. Thus, outward prosperity makes men appear. 
Poverty is joined with obscurity. What parts or gifts or abilities are worth soever is in a man? He is scarce ever seen above board, if he be under the straits of poverty and affliction. The light of the wicked shall be put out. I have heretofore spoken of the prosperity and also of the decay of wicked men. Therefore, I shall not insist upon it here. Note only first that the glory of wicked men, their excellency, their light shall certainly come to nothing. They shall be quenched as a fire of thorns. Psalm 118.12 Which any man may suddenly quench, and if no man will, it will suddenly quench itself. Yet further, the word which we translate to put out is active, or intransitive. So some translate it here, the light of the wicked shall put itself out. Hence, note, a wicked man is usually the cause of his own ruin. He puts himself out. Sometimes he makes his own tongue to fall upon himself, Psalm 64, verse 8. His tongue undoes him, and he is buried under a heap or pressed to death under the weight of his own words. Sometimes his own strength undoes him. Sometimes his wit imparts unto him. His great learning and abilities prove his ruin. He dies as a fool dies, because he thought himself wiser than any living. The prosperity of the wicked is not like the light of the sun, but like that of a candle which consumes itself. And that, not only naturally, is all worldly things do, which will perish with the using, how worldly soever we use them, but violently by their vain and unweary using of it. In this the justice of God is imminent upon wicked men. There was scarce a wicked man in the world ever extinguish, but he has contributed not only meritoriously, for so all wicked men are wholly the cause of it, but instrumentally to his own extinction. The wicked man is a murderer, a destroyer, an extinguisher of himself. If all men should forbear him or resolve to let him stand, yet he would work out his downfall here as well as he does his own damnation forever. Again, the spark of his fire shall not shine. It is the same thing. Yet here is a progress in this sense. Besides sunlight, there is firelight and candlelight. But if a man has neither sunlight, nor light of fire, nor light of a candle, then he is in darkness indeed. If he have no fire burning, yet possibly he may have a few coals or sparks of fire, Wherefore, to note the utter extinction of a wicked man, he shall not have so much as a spark of fire. The spark of his fire shall not shine. It is a great abatement to be brought from sunlight to firelight. For as the apostle speaks in another case, 1 Corinthians 15, There is one glory of the sun, another of the moon, and another of the stars. And one star differs from another in glory. So we may say there is one light of the sun, another of the fire, another of the candle, and one candle differs from another in glory. Here is the sunlight put out, and the firelight, 
and a very spark of fire, so that the threatened destruction or extinction of a wicked man shall be total. Every spark of it shall expire. The rich man in Luke 16 was destitute of all good, and he had not so much as a drop of water to cool his tongue. He that begged a drop had not a drop. Now as he that has not a drop of water is under the greatest drought, so he that has not a spark of fire is under the greatest cold or darkness. And as the prophet speaks in Isaiah 30 verse 14, to show an utter destruction under another notion about breaking a vessel. Because you have trusted in oppression and perverseness, therefore this iniquity shall be to you as a breach ready to fall, swelling out in a high wall, whose breaking comes suddenly in an instant. And he shall break it like the breaking of the potter's vessel that is broken in pieces. He shall not spare, so that there shall not be found in the bursting of it, assured to take fire from the hearth or to take water withal out of the pit. I note it for that he shall break the vessel, and so break it, that there shall not be so much as a shard to take fire from the hearth, or a little water from the pit. When a vessel is so broken, that there remains not a shard for any use, it is totally broken. What the shard is to the vessel, that is a spark, to the fire, the vessel is totally broken. When there is not a shard left, and the fire is totally extinct. When there is not a spark left. So, this carries not only some extinction of the wicked man's light, but the utter extinction of the least light of a wicked man. Again, consider the difference between these two, light and fire. Fire is proper to the house and family. Light shines abroad everywhere, which imports, that is a renowned fame and glory, with which the wicked man shines to the world shall be extinguished. So his fire and his spark, that is his family glory and luster, shall be taken away. He shall be destroyed in his public capacity, and in his private capacity, his glory abroad, and his glory at home, the sun with which he shines in sphere of this public employment, and the fire with which he is warmed in the hearth of his private relations and enjoyments, shall be utterly extinguished. He has not yet done. The light shall be dark in his tabernacle. He has said before, his light shall be put out. Why does he say here his light shall be dark? This seems less than he spake before. I answer no. Here is still an increase of the sense. To say his light shall be dark is more than to say his light shall be put out. As was showed in chapter 10 verse 22 upon those words, where Job describes the darkness of the grave in purest strains of eloquence. And having said verse 21, it is a land of darkness and the shadow of death. And the shadow of death, a land of darkness, is darkness itself, and of the shadow of death without any order. He concludes, and where the light is its darkness. But some may say, if it be a place of darkness, is darkness itself. How can there be any light there? Why does he say the light there is its darkness? 
when he has said there is nothing but darkness. It is to show as that place to which I refer was opened, that the grave is so dark that even that which has an appearance of light is darkness. Not only is the darkness dark, but the very light is darkness. Thus here, not only is the light of a wicked man put out, but the light of his tabernacle, if there be anything left there that bears any imaginable likeness to it, shall be dark, or more like to darkness. So we may know that God will make the very prosperity of a wicked man an affliction to him. His light shall go out, even to a spark, and if a spark of light remain, that shall be but darkness. He shall never enjoy good, if any good remain for him to enjoy, though after great sufferings he may have some ease, yet that shall be a pain to him. It is a privilege of the saints that their darkness is light, their sorrows joyful, their wants a fullness. So it is a curse of the wicked that their light is darkness, their joy sorrowful, and their fullness a want. We may here remember that argument of our Savior, which I have formerly made use of in Matthew 6, verse 23. If that which is appointed to comfort a man, turn to his sorrow, how great is his sorrow, so that here is a peremptory exclusion of all that is or can be refreshing to a wicked man. His light is darkness to him, and his very blessings a curse to him. Verse 7, the steps of his strength shall be strained. This shows the judgment in general. All beasts and birds taken in nets or snares are brought into a strait. The steps of his strength, by steps we are to understand his motions, his actions, his undertakings, whatsoever helps him towards his desired end. And these are not ordinary steps, but the steps of his strength, that is, his strongest steps. Mr. Broughton reads, His violent passages shall be straightened. Steps of strength, for strong steps is a Hebraism, very frequent, and these steps of strength may be first, the strength of his mind and wit. There lies much strength within. Man orders and lays his designs by the strength of his understanding. Secondly, the strength of his authority. For therein a man's strength lies also. Let such a man have never so much civil power. He shall be straightened. Thirdly, the strength of his body or of his hand. The steps of his outward strength as well as his inward an authoritative strength shall be straightened. Fourthly, a man sets steps of strength, or adds strength to his steps by his friends and relations, by his alliance and confederates, by the helps and aids, by the seconds and assistance which he has abroad in the world, every step which some men set is upheld from without. They go not alone. We may understand the text in any of or in all these ways. The steps of strength are the strongest steps which he sets by the strength of his understanding, or by the strength of his authority, or by the strength of his body, or by the strength of his friends and relations. The steps of all these strengths shall be straightened. Further, 
The original word signifies not ordinary strength or strength in general, but that strength which is usually accompanied with trouble, and with that trouble which flows from, or is the issue of sin, a painful strength. For as many have painful weaknesses upon them, so some have painful strength. And hence also the Hebrew word signifies riches or power, which are unjustly gotten and unjustly kept. This kind of strength is strength with a pain, when a man gets and maintains what he has gotten by sin. And there are none who have had so much pain with weaknesses, as some in all ages have had with strength. The steps of his strength shall be straightened. To be straightened, in common scripture phrase, signifies only to be afflicted. Mr. Broughton renders it by the word distressed. His violent passages are distressed. And hence Christ, in Luke 12, verse 50, speaks of his sufferings, or of the apprehensions of his sufferings, what effects they had upon him. I have a baptism to be baptized with. And how am I straightened until it be accomplished? Did not John baptize Christ in Jordan some years before? What was this baptism? There is a threefold baptism. First, a baptism of water. Secondly, the baptism of the Spirit. Both these baptisms Christ has been baptized with. He was plentifully baptized with the Spirit, and he had been baptized with water in the Jordan. But there is a third baptism, that is a baptism of blood, or the baptism of suffering, and that is it which Christ spake of there. He had not yet been so baptized, drenched, or washed in blood, in his own blood, as he was soon after in the garden and upon the cross. This is a baptism that he was to be baptized with. And he says, How am I straightened? That is, how is my soul afflicted at the approaches and appearances of it? How am I besieged with it? For to that the metaphor may allude. The destruction of Jerusalem. Thine enemy shall cast a trench about thee, encompass thee round, and keep thee. They who are thus kept in are straightened in on every side. It may refer also to the shutting up of a beast in a pound, or to a woman in travail, who when her pains take hold upon her, how sore are her straits. All shows how great a stress and distress was upon the soul of Jesus Christ, because he had then such a baptism to be baptized with. So then to be straightened is to be afflicted, Outward afflictions are straits, either upon the body or state, and the very foresight of these put many to inward straits. And hence, on the other side, to be enlarged signifies prosperity or a good estate. We have David so expressing himself, Psalm 31, 8. You have set my feet in a large room. Again, Psalm 66, 12. We have gone through fire and water. But you have brought us forth into a wealthy place, which some translate into a roomy place, that is, into much prosperity. Solomon in Proverbs 4, 11 and 12 gives us a negative to this in Job. When you go, your steps shall not be straightened, 
that is, you shall not be afflicted, or you shall not come into any trouble. When men of Gerar contended about it, saying, The water is ours, and his servants digged a third well, and for that they strove not, therefore he called the name of it Rehoboth, that is, room. For now he said, The Lord has made room for us, Genesis twenty-six twenty-two. We may say of all our comforts and mercies, Rehoboth, here is room, but of all our afflictions, they are straits, so that the steps of his strength shall be straightened, is neither more nor less than this. He shall be brought into trouble. So observe, first, who is it that is threatened with these straits? It is the sinner, the wicked man here spoken of. He is the subject of the whole chapter. So learn, sin brings us into straits. There are none brought into such straits as they who walk in the broad way. If you would be at liberty, keep in the narrow way and walk as they who are bound. None are freer from bondage than the servants of God. Indeed, none are at all free but they. Yet none are more bound than they. As for those who would have more room for their steps than the commandments of God afford, they shall have but little room for themselves. They will be found sooner or later in the stocks, or in the net, in the snare, or in the grin, who walk loosely. Sin brings us into a twofold strait first, into straits of the mind. A man shall not know what to do. Who does he cares not what? Thousands have run themselves into these straits, who had room enough in the world. They walked which way they would. They washed their footsteps in butter, and the rock poured them out, rivers of oil. Yet how have their poor souls been straightened by turning aside after vanity? Secondly, sin straightens the outward man. The body is brought into prison, into deaths and dangers. For one who is brought into straits for his conscience, there are hundreds who are brought into straits by acting against conscience. Some are brought into straits for doing their duty, but most for doing against duty. With whom are prisons peopled? Are they not with those who break their bounds? Or generally in the straits of poverty, while they walk abroad, are they not such as walk disorderly? It is sin which usually closes a man with rags, and though some are fed by it, which snatches a bread out of his mouth. Who are they that are brought into the streets of a shameful death and fall under the strokes of justice? Are they not such as transgress the rules of justice and practically oppose government? Verse 8. For he is cast into a net by his own feet, and he walks upon a snare. Verses 9 and 10. The grin shall take him by the heel, and the robber shall prevail against him, and so on. So that the streets into which this man shall fall are of two sorts, some of his own making, and others which are made by his enemies. Observe that as a wicked man keeps not the way which God has appointed. So he comes not to the end which himself expected. He is walking in the way of sin, and God brings him to punishment and into snares. There is his end which he looked not for. He goes he knows not where, 
as Christ speaks in Job 12.35. He that walks in darkness, that is, in ignorance, or in an evil way, what of him? He knows not where he goes. But does not a man that walks in darkness and ignorance propose some end to himself? Yes, he does, especially such as are here spoken of. Men full of parts, counsel, and wisdom. These are full of designs. But though they are, yet they know not where they go, because they shall not go to that which themselves have designed, but they shall go to that where the just judgment of God determines them. He knows not where he goes. An ignorant man walks in darkness, and because he is ignorant of God's way, he misses his own end. He proposes happiness to himself, and he falls into mischief. Thus he knows not where he goes. Wicked men are great lovers of themselves, and it is out of self-love that they go in such ways as prove nets to themselves. They go merely to save or exalt themselves, but they cast down and destroy themselves. Thus they know not where they go. Thirdly observe, it is the severe judgment of God upon wicked men that they should be the means of their own ruin that their own feet should cast them into a net. This speaks wrath poured out upon them, as it is a great mercy when God directs his people to use the proper means of their own saving and deliverance, helping them to walk in such ways as have a tendency to their own good. So it is a judgment of God upon wicked men, when they through ignorance or obstinacy betray their own peace, or run desperately upon their own destruction and are cast into a net by their own feet. Solomon, in the first of the Proverbs, verse 18, dehorts the young man from ill company and enticements to sin. By this argument, their feet, he says, run to evil and make haste to shed blood and so on. And they lay wait for their own blood and lurk privily for their own lives. These men say, Come with us, let us wait for blood. Let us lurk privily for the innocent without cause. He will take the spoil. He will rob and oppress. Yet when the Holy Ghost comes to make up the judgment concerning the actings of these men, he says only this, they lay wait for their own blood and lurk privily for their own lives. As if the men had entered that unholy league on purpose to spoil themselves and cut their own throats. They thirsted for their neighbor's blood, but they drank their own. They coveted their neighbor's good, but their own became a prey and a spoil. It will appear at last that all the waiting and privy lurking of wicked men for their brethren's, either estates or lives, has been against their own souls and a cruelty to themselves. This is a great aggravation of the misery of a wicked man that he has so great a hand in it himself. The Lord saith by the prophet Hosea, O Israel, thou hast destroyed thyself. An ungodly man is oftentimes secure, but never safe. Is he safe that walks on snares, whose ordinary course is upon the borders of death, such as a walk in the way of an ungodly man? While he would avoid, he falls into the pit, when he thinks himself most sure, then he is the nearest to confusion. He walks upon a snare, and eat everything that a wicked man has, 
It is that he sets himself about as a snare to him. First, his table is a snare. When he comes to his table and there finds comfortable provision, the fat and the sweet upon it, then he rejoices in his portion and says, Soul, take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Yet the curse overtakes him there. His table is made a snare, and that which should be for his good is to him an occasion of falling. Psalm 69:22. It is a sore evil when there is no bread upon the table, or when a table full of bread is a snare and a famine to us. That is far worse. Secondly, his riches are a snare to him. That which a rich man counts his strong tower becomes his strong prison. 1 Timothy 6, verse 9. They that shall fall into temptation and a snare. His riches are a snare, a greater snare than poverty, and into many foolish, hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. Thirdly, his wits, parts, and learning are a snare, for which he is so much admired in the world. Oh, he is a very witty man, a wise man, a man of deep reach, a notable headpiece. What a nimble, what an eloquent tongue he has. See how gracefully he expresses himself. Yet all this is a snare. It had been better for him if he had been a fool or dumb than have had all that wit, those great abilities, consider how he has employed them. A carnal man presumes to ensnare all the world with his wit and words, and these are often a snare for others, but chiefly for himself. A reading from Job, chapter 18, commentary by Joseph Carrill.